Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I have been saying it week in and week out. I don't know what to say anymore other than just another disappointing week for the Philadelphia Flyers. Carter Hart may have figured it out. Not really sure. Let's talk about it all right now. This is the Orange and Back Check Podcast with Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhardt. It's episode 72 of Orange and Back Check, and we're going to welcome on two special guests of a pod coming up this Wednesday. Uh, If you are listening past Wednesday, make sure you subscribe to their podcast in the description below. Kim Perrant, daughter of Bernie Perrant, and Corey Favell, the son of Doug Favell, who was traded for each other, uh, if you remember your Flyers history uh, and everything. So we're going to welcome them on. They have a great podcast coming up. It's going to be exciting. Uh, but first, let's ask how Scott's doing. Uh, have you recovered? You had your second vaccine shot a couple <laughs> days ago. I mean, you're good. Are you okay? I, I'm good today. I'll be yeah. honest. Yesterday, I was not good. I, I felt I've never felt fatigued like that in my entire life. I felt like the only way I could describe it is that I ran a marathon. I felt like I'd ran a marathon. And today, I felt like I was recovering from that marathon. Like, no joke. Like, I've back in the day, I ran a lot of Spartan races. I'm not, yeah, I'd be honest. I ran a bunch of them. Uh, I had never felt that tired from a Spartan race. Maybe that's maybe killing them. Yeah, just it it just wiped you. Like I had no energy pretty much from start to finish yesterday. And then today it took me a while to get going, also. But today now I, I feel fine. I actually caught a little bit of a nap earlier today. Um, yeah, I feel great now, and things are moving in the right direction. Yeah, so I, I, I yeah. two less than two weeks from now, I'll be fully vaccinated and life can get back to normal. And look, like. If that is anything what COVID is like, I have what I'm so glad I got vaccinated because that that sucked. I mean, on a personal note, my mom had COVID about a month and a half ago. Oh no. And she's still not recovered from the fatigue portion of it. That it yeah. just hits you from time to time. She goes, That's been the hardest part of me getting back to it, is is this the fatigue factor. So I'll take two days over two months any day of the week. So yeah, I I'm mean, to, to what you were saying about how it was similar to a Spartan run, I've done a slighter, lesser version of the Spartan run. I've done the, those mud runs, mm-hmm. and I, I did the 5K version, and that wiped my ass. Like, that yeah. thing is not – it's not easy. Like, you think you can just train for it like any other run? Man, it, it, it's one of those things where you don't know what you're in for until you really get going. I can only imagine it's exactly the same for a Spartan run or just, like, what's – what you feel after that second shot, whether it's Pfizer or Moderna, it doesn't matter. I'll tell you what, they, I think the closest I actually felt to it would probably be because I, I back in 2014, I ran the uh, what's called double trifecta, which is Spartan races, three different races. They have the sprint, 
which is their shortest race, the super, which is their middle and the beast, which is their longest one. And, you know, smart me, I decided to go for the biggest race of the year up in Mount Killington in Vermont. It took me 10 and a half hours to get through it because they made the distance over 20 miles. And usually it's like, oh a, my God. it was like five, a sprint is five miles, a super is about eight. And then a, a super is about 10 to 12. They made it like 20 miles. Like it was insane. But if I hadn't gone through the race of Virginia where I really like struggled, like a couple months ago, I wouldn't have learned for it. But even then, like I, you know, just a side note, I, I had gone through a 10 and a half hour grind like that. And I, I, I didn't feel as wiped as I did from this. It's, it's crazy. I mean, I, I trained and trained and trained and trained for that. So um, it's crazy how like something like that could to do, but it can make you feel like that. But again, I'll take, I'll take that over what the opposite could be. So, uh, you know, it's, would you, it's just, would you rather have COVID than continue to watch the flyers? That's a very difficult question. It That's really a very is. Difficult I think question. a lot of listeners that are listening to this week, I, I think we're at the point where the only way I can describe it is apathy. Like I think a lot of, uh, I think a lot of fans, including some of our listeners might be feeling apoplectic, apathetic about this team. Like they're just, it's just not fun right now. Even, no. even with uh, Carter Hart, it clearly let's just, I think, the best thing for him was those eight days of rest. You talked about it, uh, about how the lack of practice has been really harming him. Um, and he finally got an AV, whether it was for disciplinary reasons, just finally fed up with him. I think it's more the latter of this, where it was just, you need a reset, a full reset, not just a game rest or two game rest, like full blown. You're not even going to sit on the bench. We're going to give it to Alex Lyon and you're going to just figure this thing out. And it looked like he did. Like they were continuously peppering him, the Islanders on Saturday with the glove side. And he was flashing the leather. Like he was back to what he was. And I think that is a good sign. The problem is this team is just apoplectic. They're not fun outside anything in front of Carter whether it's even despite Claude Giroux and his two goals that got this team back into it to get the point, like it, it's just, it's not fun anymore for these, for fans. And I don't blame them one bit. Like that's really what it comes down to. Well, I, I hope that Carter is going in the right direction with this. I, I you know, last night watching his game, I noticed that he was a lot more aggressive playing, playing, playing his position last night. He was at the top of the crease a lot more, really sharp on his angles, really cutting the angle where he's at the top of the crease sometimes out of it. During the shootout, I really saw that he was really aggressive against Anthony Bavilia, which I'm like, that's not really his style. Like, he'll come more to the top of the crease and work his way back, but he really matched his speed and forced him not to get a great, a great shot off. So, um, overall, I, I, I didn't look. He didn't see overall many shots last night. I think he saw like in like the low to mid twenties. He didn't see that much action in this, that sense. Um, but they were really good scoring chances. And I think it's important the way this, the way, the way I saw him playing was that it was a step. So it looked like for me, they went back to basics, worked on his technique a little bit, had him confidence and gave him a little bit of confidence where he's not so playing deep in his net. You can want to kind of watch a goal. They're not really confident. They'll kind of sit back on their net a little bit more. They'll kind of, you know, try to react a little later on the shots. They're kind of overthinking the game a little bit. He was out in front of the top of the crease taking charge. And I thought that overall last night he played a solid game. 
Um, but that's just one game. We have to kind of see where he does from here. Exactly. Considering we're going into the biggest week in this of the season, no, without question, they've got five games in seven days here. Um, this is this is the season. Like they're you know not to digress, but this is important. So whatever they worked on in that break, it better be something that he can stay confident over in this next short time because they're going to need him more than ever right now. Yeah. I mean, what, what, what the adage has had been for him for the last week and a half or really since the COVID break, I would say. So it's been way longer than that is he's looked small in net, not to his physical size, but to what you were saying about his positioning, he was backing into the net. He just stayed there. He didn't really come out of his crease uh, that much, but last night on Saturday, he was coming out of his crease and he made himself big. He got his angles down correctly. And it just, it made it easier for him to not just be just a body in front, but to flash that leather. And because we talked about it, how his weak side had been his glove, but it wasn't like it was a, a weakness that, that a weakness that we anticipated to deteriorate to this point. Right. Like, I think it was always, okay, this is something he needs to improve on, but it's nothing that will deteriorate deteriorate him for the long term. What we saw over the last month and a half, two months, has been that alarm of, oh, did we, real, did we project this wrong? And is it actually going to completely destroy him? And he proved us wrong in the current moment. So again, it depends on how this back-to-back with Boston coming up and the Islanders comes up uh, is going to play out, but... I have all like what we saw with that with Carter was exactly the Carter we expect. Like the guy that is going to improve on himself and he doesn't get down in the dumps when he's able to really give himself a chance to reset and practice. That practice really was the the gold standard for what we expect from Carter Hart. Agreed, because you can actually take time to work on the little things of the game that people may not know, but such as his glove positioning. You're talking about how he's making more glove saves last night, and they're being more aggressive at that. Uh, you know, something that people might not key up on is that where his glove positioning was before. Now, I don't have my glove on me at the moment, but say, for instance, if I could show you, your hand is here, it's a little lower, and say the top of the net is up near my head. You're giving up that much more space. If I hold my hand up a little bit higher, you may not notice it in real time. But that's a little less reaction time that I have to do instead of yep. what they try to teach goaltenders is to keep your uh, you know, the carry price drill, so to speak. It's up, down, left, right, down. Like that. That's They try to make the T out of it because that way you can kind of hold your glove anywhere, and it doesn't matter where you're holding it. But if you're holding it too low – or if you're angled it too much like this, the pocket's going to be too far low and you can't get your glove up high enough. Those little adjustments you may not notice, but they are huge, especially when you need every advantage you can at the national hockey league level. So uh, by having a full week off, you can work on those things. You can work on them repetitively and you can have it where, okay, after a week it's drilled into your brain about this is how you need to play going forward. So with him cutting his angles, with the way he was much more aggressive, I thought his pushes were excellent last night. His positioning with his hand positioning, everything looked really solid last night. Let's hope it's a start in the right direction. And hopefully, and I think it'll be the case, he'll be confident enough where, you know, he can carry this over the next short term. It may, it may yeah. not be something long term. If once you get lose a little bit of confidence, you can regress into those bad habits. So it may take a full off season to really fix it. But if you can get it in the next little while, that's a really, really positive thing. And we talked about, and we didn't talk about it on the podcast last week, but it was kind of strange that the news came out this week that he had, he had let go of his, for, his, um, his sports psychologist. So um, hopefully there's 
you know, some direction that he's building on there and going somewhere else with it to help him maintain that confidence as he's always had. I did find that interesting. And that was a good article. I think it was Sam Karshidi, a former guest of the show, a friend of the pod. So I like, but I think what, and to just work back what, what AV had said in post game was he did what he had to do to give the flyers a position to win. Yes. Claude Giroux scored those two goals to give them the additional position to score um, to win the game. But at the same time, what, Carter Hart kept them in the game like that, that Pavel or um, Bur, um, Brazil, Brazil, Matthew Barzell, Barzell. Thank you. Yes. I, 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 it, it's a long day. It, it, <laughs> it's Easter Sunday that we're recording this. So anyway, but Bar- Barzell, like he had plenty of chances. I mean, what Carter Hart did kept this team in the game. Sadly, Correct. it obviously wasn't enough. It got you only the one point. And I That's think so it's it's a one big point that it might give out because now you're still tied at the current moment with the Rangers um, leading into this, as we keep talking about the big week ahead. Um, what I think what, what, what the biggest difference is you got that one point, but the team and the fans kind of feel you were in it the whole time. For the most part, you let up two kind of fluky goals. I, I Carter Hart didn't really have much of a chance on both of them. I felt, but you still managed to get a point in, in a season where you're projecting uh, higher standards. You're not, you're in the playoff race. Yes. The flyers are technically, but you don't feel like they're in the playoff hunt right now with how they're playing in a season where they're in that hunt. That's a good loss. There as there's no such thing as a good loss, but for context purposes, that's as close as you can get this season where it's complete disappointment it sucks no matter what, right? Like, it's just kind of, okay, they lost another game. It doesn't feel like an overtime loss. It's just a loss, despite the point. A point against the top team in division is a point. Like, you got to take it. You got to take the small victories where they're at. That's exactly what – and considering that this week was an absolute abomination and probably one of the worst weeks of Flyers history as far as, you know, results go. I mean, look, you're down 3 nothing going into the third period against Buffalo. You barely win that game. Look, that let's be honest here. They were 20 minutes away from getting swept by Buffalo. They should have okay. been swept by Buffalo. They like, should have. And let, if they, that would have been exactly the icing on the cake because that's exactly, unfortunately, how bad this team is right now is that Buffalo riding an 18-game losing streak. You almost lose to them the night before, and then you do lose to them the following night. Um, that's, that's that's despicable. It's it's absolutely terrible. There's no excuse whatsoever. Um, you know, I like the little stunt. Not I'm not really the stunt, but I like the angle that AV took, where he just let the team figure it out between the second and the third, I and they come like out that. on I fire. Agree. I like that. But the next night, you realize that you can't take them lightly. And what do you do the following night? You take them lightly. Like yeah. you, I didn't see I mean, them. They didn't see them play as hard as they need to. You know, Elliot didn't have had have his best game defensively. They didn't have their best game. They had a little bit of bad luck. I mean, but it's still you. You get blown out six to one by a team that lost eighteen in a row. That's saying something. That is yeah. saying something. I mean, and look, a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. But at at the same time, if it weren't for what happened two nights earlier. Uh, I I would have been like okay it happens but considering yeah. that you almost got swept by Buffalo it's a disaster that's a I disaster mean, you you play Buffalo one more time this season next week on Sunday and it, it just seems like 
the the coaching strategy that you saw with AV is is a common one where the guy just is like, I'm going to let the players figure this out. I'm at the end of my wits here. It's like if you listen to our earlier podcast, we, we have the clip of, of Peter Laviolette going, so what's the effing problem now? Play yeah. some jam, like, and he just leaves the locker room. You yeah. see this kind of strategy all the time, and it goes really one of two ways. It goes, it, you respond and you string together a couple wins, or you do what you did on Tuesday night, uh, or on th- Wednesday night, excuse me, and you just completely fall flat and you lose six to one to the worst team in the NHL right now. And it's not even particularly close. This is a bad hockey team in Buffalo, yes. and yes. you should have lost all to the both the games because you let up 10 goals in total between the two of them. Like it, it, it it's I, embarrassing. It, it's brutal. Like it's, it's, it's brutal. Like it, this, it's just a complete mess right now. And there's no reason to believe like as much as people would like, this is the biggest week of the season. Like going into this, if you're like, ah, like I'm not feeling confident with every right to feel that way. There's no reason to feel confident about this team right now. There's no reason that you're going to look at five games in seven days here. And all of a sudden they're just going to magically turn it around. They just got blown up by Buffalo. Like they got, they didn't lose. They got blown out. A six yep. to one is a blowout. They've had more blowout losses here in the last month than I can ever remember them having in a season overall and i'm talking back in when they had the worst season ever in 2006 2007 i mean look at the scores here over the last couple weeks i mean look they lost to the sabers last week six to one then they before that the week before they lose to the rangers eight to three and then the week before that they lose the islanders six to one before that they lose the rangers nine nothing like these aren't close games that they're losing they're getting their asses kicked yeah and they're not winning and convincing that's games. That's a major, major problem. Correct. And they're barely getting points. Like, yes, you have to take a small victory as you got a point out of the Islanders, which is which is huge. But you're going against a team that you had no luck against this season against Boston, which we'll talk more in a little bit. But you're you're getting your ass kicked right now. And you can't beat teams that you should beat. You can't beat the Devils who are almost dead last in the division. You can't beat the Rangers who are right behind you. And for a while there, we're struggling big time. You can't beat the Sabres who are on an 18-game losing streak. You can't beat them. You barely beat them. You're outplayed. And of 120 minutes, you're outplayed for 100 of them. So there, there's, there's some major, major problems here. Um, and, you know, I know that there's been rumors kicked around about what they could do with the trade deadline at this point with the way Nashville is playing. I pretty much sure you can, you could probably get, you know, say Ekholm's not going to be a chance because they're going to want everything for them because that's going to disrupt their playoff chances. It's, it's a mess right now. It's a mess right yeah. now. And I just have a feeling that this week could be ugly, but we could talk about that, you know, after we talk to our guests here. And now welcoming into the Orange and Backcheck podcast, another podcast coming out in just this week, April 7th. If you're listening, you can get it now. Make sure you subscribe. The Perrant Favel Generation X podcast. Joining us now is Kim Perrant, daughter of Bernie Perrant, and Corey Favel, son of... Doug Favell, oh, both former goalies in the in the NHL and obviously former Philadelphia Flyers. Welcome, guys. How are you? Hi. Good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, of course. Thanks, yeah, thanks for having us on. So, uh, well, how you guys been? I mean, obviously, it's been a crazy year outside of hockey. Uh, I, I know you're up in Canada right now, uh, Corey, in, in Ontario. And obviously, Kim, I think you're in the Philadelphia area. So yeah. how you guys uh, holding up with everything? I mean, it's been a hell of a journey, I'm sure, for everyone. 
It really has. And it's funny, you don't realize how different it is here in the States as it is in Canada. You know, it's actually a lot different, but uh, you know, we're hanging in. Yeah. Like I said, I'm in, I'm in Ontario. So, um, you know, our guidelines are, are pretty tough. And um, like I said, that's Kim and I talk a lot. So we like to see, uh, you know, the difference between uh, New Jersey and Ontario, Canada, what the guidelines are like. So yeah, yeah, we're staying positive and we're, we're making it through. So yeah, I mean, we obviously are talking about hockey throughout the year, and we had have something that is hockey in Philadelphia. I mean, I, I don't know what we're watching right oh, now. Oh, God. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> the the TV? hasn't been exactly fun. Uh, <laughs> but what have you guys been uh, – What have you been watching? Obviously, I'm, I'm assuming you guys have been watching a lot of this season, but of what you can. So how, how's uh, what have you been noticing for this Flyers team? Oh God, it started out so exciting and so hopeful and just really on a high. And then it got muddled a little, then good again. And then like the bottom just fell out, you know? So I don't know what's going on. I know it's probably 90% mental for most of them at this point, but hoping that, you know, things turn around and Carter will be back. He's just going through a, you know, he'll still be our golden boy, I'm sure. Yeah, I think that's that's a great lead in because obviously he got the start Saturday after an eight days of rest. And I mean, like you said, he's suppo- hopefully going to continue to be this franchise as uh, the the children of goalies that used to be in the NHL. Like what what would do you think your parents would tell someone like Carter Hart or even Brian Elliott? Because it's not all their fault of what's happening because the de- the defense from the forwards to the defensemen have been really rough. So it's like, what do you, what do you think Bernie or, or, or Doug's advice would be for these guys right now? Well, I always say right now is it's Kim touched on it. It's, it's mental. It's, it's, a you know, and especially being a goalie, um, there's that much more pressure on you. So I always joke, they said, Carter just needs, a day or two with Bernie on his boat, yes. get him back to his mental game. I'm telling you, he's a champion. He's been there. I think someone like that, you know, giving some some old school advice to to a young kid moving in, um, might take a little pressure off him. Or you know what, it is mental, so he needs a little something to to, to bounce back mentally. And I I think he's a great goalie. I love him to death. And yeah, I think he's going to be. And he's you know, so young, you know. I mean, goalies usually you know, prime a little later. So he came in early and young. And so he's, he'll get past this for sure. Let me ask you, cause you're right. Like I agree. He's so young. It takes goalies. Probably I play goalie myself. I'm not I'm never even close to being to the level as your fathers were, but uh, still like I, you know, can understand what he'd be going through at that younger age. You know, you're talking about when they kind of mature, usually in their later twenties, yeah, how would how was it growing up for both of you being in a city where both of you know where your fathers played and and also what they played, how scrutinized it was? What was it like for you guys growing up in that situation? Uh, well, for me, I was nine when my dad got his eye injury. So when he was still playing, I was you know I don't remember much. I was so young. I was like I always say, I was playing with my Barbies in the wives' lounge. Like I really didn't care too much but um so then by the time you know he was always just the hero you know my so it wasn't like he was playing and having really bad games and people were giving him a hard time because he was retired at that point in the hall of fame so it's like I never really had to experience that much it's all 
for the most part, been all positive. So, but I'm sure when he was playing and had some really bad games, it wasn't like that. I was just too young to even, to even know what was going on at that point. Like I said, if the history with our fathers is, you know, they played together through major junior, uh, drafted in the expansion draft by the Flyers uh, up until I think 1971, when, when Bernie was traded away uh, to Toronto. And then my, uh, when the trade went through and they, they swapped and my dad went to Toronto. Well, you know, that following year, they won the cups. So my dad was with the team all the way through from the beginning and gets traded. And that year they, they, they won the cup. So when he got traded, Kim was very lucky. She grew up in, in the city of, you know, uh, Philadelphia, New Jersey. And she got to experience a lot of that where her dad was a real, you know, he was a hometown hero. Um, my dad was traded to Toronto and off to Colorado. So I always joke with Kim was, I grew up on a mountain. Hockey just really wasn't the big sport out there. So <laughs> uh, like my best friend, his dad was an NFL player where we grew up on the mountain in Colorado. So um, yeah, for me, like I said, it, it might've been a little different growing up in, in, uh, in New Jersey and, and in that area. But like I said, Kim and I have, you know, some great stories because it was very different but a lot of the, you know, growing up was very similar. So it's, that's kind of the podcast and what we're kind of bringing out is, is um, what it's like for all the kids mm-hmm. uh, growing up with a professional. Yeah, speaking family. of that, we had Ray Sherrill on and he was talking about, cause he was older, a little bit older. So like when they would have a bad game, he got, you know, a lot of flack at school and kids like, what's oh, wrong? No. Yeah, you know, so he like dealt with that a lot. <laughs> well, that, that leads not me a lot. Yeah, because to your point, what you're doing with your podcast, it's you've had Doc Emmer, you're, as you said, as I said, it's coming out uh, this Wednesday on April 7th. You had Doc Emmer, you had Shariro. I've been told, I, I'll just get into this one now. Our mutual friend who hooked this up has said, I should try and pry a Bernie and Wives story out of one of you like what his experience was with the flyers wives as as the guy here i mean kim you just said you've been playing you you used to play barbies with in the with the wives car (laughs) what 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 wives and bernie what 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 is what is our mutual friend teasing me to try and get out of you we do have um an episode coming up where we have a group of wives from the stanley cup days and it's going to be a little reunion and we're going to hear, you know, the stories on the wives end, how they dealt with it, um, what the experience was like for, for them. Because you always hear the guys, obviously, but you don't really right. hear their experience and they have a lot of great <laughs> stories, too. So, yeah, so that's going to be fun. So we have that coming up in a couple of weeks. That's all because to that point, like you're right, like uh, everyone focuses on the players and rightfully so. But like. The Flyers are unique, I feel, because they do have a huge – you have the Flyers' wives carnival every year when it's not a pandemic, mm-hmm. obviously. They, they, the Flyers' wives charities and all this stuff. So it's always – it always feels like the Flyers organization, when it is – whether it's ups or downs, like it, it, it does feel like a family organization, and that's one of the proud moments. Like, obviously, you two being the, uh, children of these players and being surrounded in that, was the Flyers organization as – they like I always think they are that family organization and they they le- really lean into it very well it was always like that growing up like always and um I think it was Lou that said you know it's Snyder's first night first wife uh Myrna am I saying her name correctly um but she created that environment um 
and it just always stuck. And it was always still to this day, like a family, even Corey's dad only playing here briefly, he's still a part of that Flyers family. So it's like anyone that made any played here, made any kind of impact. It's like, it's, you're always a part of that. And it, it was, it was a great way to grow up and a great experience to have for sure. I think Carol Perron, I think your mom, Kim had a big play in the Flyers wives, if I'm not correct. Did she? Yeah. I mean, that group is, they started the, um, the carnival, that group. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Snyder was super supportive and, you know, get, you know, with them doing that. So they did a lot of charity work, the wives, and they kind of all bonded together and did that. So. And, and I'll tell you the, the best stories I think come from the wives. My mom, they remember everything. They were there. They lived. <laughs> they do. They, yeah. they have the good stories. <laughs> Trust me. So, yeah. and like I said, it's all, it, it's all positive. Like I said, these, um, yeah, we're not going to pull out any weird, like, yeah, you know, dirty no one under the bus positive. stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but, but yeah, that'll be fun. We're looking forward to that. Corey, I have a question for you. Cause you know, it's supposed to be really interesting. I know Kim, you said that you're, you know, you were a little younger when, uh, you know, when your dad played in uh, Toronto and also in Philadelphia, but uh, Corey, do you, do you have any kind of memory of well, like when your dad played in Toronto and how much was it different for, you know, being in that kind of like hockey market, that Mecca before it really like took off here in Philadelphia? How, how different was that for you growing up? Uh, like I said, well, I was, you know, young as well. I think my dad went to Toronto. I was in kindergarten, so he was only there for three years, but I remember going to the practices, um, games, like I said, the wives room was somewhere they had you know, great sandwiches. I always remember, you know, hanging out in the wives' room. Um, growing up, I just, you know, I loved hockey. So it was one of those where it didn't really kind of click in. If I couldn't go to the arena, if I wasn't playing, I didn't really want to, you know, I didn't want to be there. You know, I'd be grabbing a little mini stick. I'd be running around where I wanted to play. So I don't think it was till I was older where it really started to, you know, when we moved back from Colorado to Canada um, when I was in uh, probably high school, and that's where it really kind of clued in where, you know, my dad was an NHL player. I'm now back in the Canadian city. Um, and he was coaching with the Buffalo Sabres at the time when I was in high school. So I still didn't really put the you know pieces together. But now that I have kids, I look and say, wow, that was pretty neat. What I went through with my father, just, you know, even to the later days when he was, you know, coaching in Buffalo, I got to go and and hang out at the games and the home games were Sunday nights. And, and I wondered why everybody would call me every day, all day, Sunday saying, Hey, what are you doing tonight? Well, they all want to go to the same. So, <laughs> right, right. But it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't like there was kids lined up down the street. It was just, you know, it was, um, I don't know. It didn't, like I said, it didn't really click until later on, but I mean, yeah, it was very special. So to so say, we're trying to bring back all these memories and everything that we did growing up as kids and getting that out to the and I guess, and that follows up my, my next question is that for each of you, what would be your favorite moment specifically from being around the game as, as kids? What, what's one thing that just sticks out in your mind of something you'll never forget? I have, um, from when I was a kid, it was just the Christmas parties, being at the, the spectrum, you know, just um, ovations for like the family parties and stuff like, you know, Christmas the Christmas party, the Flowers Christmas party was so special. Like we got to take the day off of school. We got Christmas presents. We got to skate. We got all this great food. Santa was there, like the real Santa. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it was like just such a special 
occasion. And I went, God, maybe six years ago to one of the current parties. Or it wasn't, it must have been more recent because I don't think Mr. Snyder was there, but it was just so different, you know, and it was just like, it's just so different than from when we grew up. So I feel lucky to be a part of that. And as an adult, my, without a doubt, is watching my dad play in the Winter Classic. Oh, like that is yeah. a moment I will, I have I chills even just saying it. Like that was my favorite moment. I was Ever. up in the 200 level for that game, right behind where he made that save. And I nice. was like, up on my feet. I'll never forget that. <laughs> actually, the tickets are on the wall right behind me over there. Oh, that's awesome. That's framed over there. That's a moment I'll never forget either. And Duque know. was so classy. You know, I mean, yeah, he could have scored in a heartbeat, you know, and just <laughs> throw right into the breadbasket. So it was, that was really, really cool. And just hearing all those Bernie, Bernie, Bernie chants, like, mm -hmm. I don't remember that as a kid. Or I'd be like, right. why is everyone saying dad's name? You know, right, yeah. <laughs> but like to experience that was, was really, that was awesome. Yeah. What I found really neat was um, when Bernie agreed to do the outdoor classic, well, that, that sparked the bug in my dad because he started seeing the videos, all Bernie's practicing. And so my dad called Bernie and sent him a message and said, Hey, you know, I better get my stuff right. Your, your, your angles look a little off. <laughs> so, but the following year, my dad suited up uh, for the Leafs and uh, Detroit for the outdoor. Right. In the big show. house, right? Yeah. So that was, um, you know what, to see these two guys still inspiring each other after, after all these years, my dad went out there, he played 92 seconds. <laughs> my dad's five minutes seems long now. <laughs> See now, so here's that when when the Rangers were going out on the ice against the Flyers, Mark Messier turned to the guys and he told them, he said, nobody scores on Bernie. Well, the Detroit-Toronto game, you could see that nobody turned to talk to the Detroit players because within 10 seconds, they put the puck in the net. And my dad, <laughs> my dad shot the puck. If it had hit him, it probably would have killed him. It went about 100 miles an hour. So, oh, my God. Oh, no. A lot of the players after the Winter Classic were hurting, hurting for, I think, months after that game. I believe yeah. it. I believe it. There was a lot yeah. of legends out that day. Yeah, I, I mean, that's one of the coolest things about the Winter Classic, because obviously everyone sees the spectrum of the actual game, usually on New Year's Day. But like the lead up to it, I remember yeah. when it was at Citizens Bank Park, uh, obviously to Kim's with your dad, Bernie, playing. But I remember even college games. I went to Penn State. Penn State got invited. Like that's one of the few spectacles like it, it leads up and the culmination is uh -huh. obviously the game, but the alumni games. They're a ton of fun just as much. It, it is. The whole, like you said, the whole build up and, you know, with my dad playing, just him practicing, you know, going. And there are a couple of times where during practice he went down and I thought he wasn't getting back up. I'm like, oh, no, this oh, is no. not going to be good. <laughs> but, man, he said as soon as he got on the ice, his old instincts just kicked in. And, you know, when he went down, he jumped back up again. He probably pulled quite a few muscles that lasted, for, but he, he, you know, it just kicked right back in. So, and like Corey said, the guys were super, you know, like no one, Messier saying no one scores on Bernie. Like, you know, that's just so much respect for my dad. So that caused me to respect him and Duguay like so much. So... That's so cool. And, and I wanted to plug because in my research for this, I noticed that Kim, you have your own t-shirt line that you do with a fellow flyer uh, daughter that, and it's biscuit. Well, she's teeth. not a flyer daughter. Oh, sorry. But, yeah. But it's so my co-part, my, uh, your co-partner, co but I, I, either way, but you do hand-drawn designs and it looks incredible. Like I, I, on the front page, there's a, there's a picture that stuck out to me was Briere 
it, mm-hmm. was, it was exactly like them. So biscuit teas is yeah. what it's called, right? So give, yep. I want to give that that a shout, like to get give that a plug. How'd that get started? What 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 went into it? Yeah, oh, it's awesome. Like we, my friend Jody and I, Jody Smith, she um, we started this. I don't know, three and a half years ago. And we both just really wanted to do a business. Um, my kids were getting older. I was divorced. She just was kind of stuck in her work and wanted to do something different. And I randomly discovered I could draw really well. Like I didn't even know I had that talent. <laughs> so the I discovered kind of that. Like, to find. <laughs> like, what can I do with this? And um, obviously my love for hockey. And I always wanted to do something in the hockey world. And um and t-shirt, t-shirt and jeans girl. So we both just kind of went to diners every week and sat and drew and came up with ideas for months and months and months and just kind of pulled it all together. And it just, it took off. I mean, four months in the Wells Fargo asked if they could sell some of our stuff there. And Oh, that's awesome. And then Oscar, you know, we did the Oscar strong right. shirt. So that, that kind of, of took over our lives for, for a while, but, yeah. um, and that all that money went to charity, right? Yeah, we we sent them a check for two hundred thousand dollars. That's incredible! Wow, that's yeah. incredible. And and we raised that in like two months. We were sent we were sending shirts to Australia, to South Korea, to like all over Europe, Sweden, France, Russia, every part of Canada and the U.S. Like it was insane. We we worked literally 20 hours a day just the two of us and our we just started our business so we were still trying to figure it all out so we were just like thrown into this and um it just it took off like crazy and we were able to raise a ton of money so and oscar got to see everyone wearing these shirts supporting him other players crosby you know so it was like it was a really cool experience yeah, yeah. That, that, that's one of the most it was a harrowing time, obviously, for Oscar. But to have something as simple as just a T-shirt where right. it just says Oscar strong and to show that it went not just any around the NHL world, but literally globally. Mm-hmm. Said, that's one of the coolest things that I think probably really helped him get through that tumultuous time. And that goes to the, to to your credit as and biscuit teas like that's hang your hat on that. That's incredible. Yeah, we kind we get the chills and a little teary eyed every time we say that because it, it's it's easy and not easy, but you know everyone cares. But for to physically see people in these shirts, to physically see them everywhere at practices, at games, everyone's like. I, I just think that was cool and that we were ended up, you know, that we are created that helped create that. And it was very something yeah. we'll always remember. But with that, well, you know, that was just a part of our company that just kind of took off on its own. But now we're, we're branching off. We do some Eagle stuff and all that. But oh, I saw I saw there was a nice Phillies three. Nice yeah. Leading into that. And so yeah. you're, you're definitely branching out. So de- definitely check them out. Biscuittees.com. I think I'm yep. correct. And then. Yes. Corey, in addition to the this podcast you guys coming out, you have coming out. I mean, I, I'm sure it's tough right now, but when it is fully open, you run a your own fitness line uh, or gym. It seems. I yeah, I I have a technology that I use. Um, <clears throat> what I was going to go back to is Bill. You you said you went to Penn State. Yeah. Um, my last year playing hockey, I was at Niagara College, and Penn State was in our league. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The last games we played in Penn State. And we had a five-on-five brawl, and I think we trashed your uh, dressing room. Did you? Wait, did you this is a little inside baseball. Did you play in the new arena, or did you play at the Greenberg, like the yellow lights? Like if you, this is it the yellow lights. So it was ninety, yes. ninety-three, ninety-four. 
Yes. I remember you had, there was a big gorilla run around there throwing yep. things at it. I, so obviously, I would, yeah, go ahead. I would, Sorry. I was the biggest Craig Bruby fan. So I remember during the anthem, I just had long, you couldn't see my name. I had the long hair and I was so angry because we had a five on five uh, brawl with you guys. I wasn't on the ice, but um, going back to, I wish I wasn't a very big guy. I wasn't strong. We didn't take, you know, um, physical fitness big back, you know, in the early nineties. So I always looked at if I was physically stronger, I think I would have played maybe at a, at a higher level. Mm -hmm. So always kind of biohack my body, trying to find, you know, the newest technologies for strength training. And about three years ago, I found a technology, uh, motorized, uh, resistance where you fully, you know, maximally load your muscles. Anyway. So I started uh, working with some younger 14, 15 year old elite athletes, and I got some really great results, um, out of the technology I was using. So really started expanding and then, um, COVID hit. So it really shut down sports. Uh. Yeah, in Canada, um, in Ontario, especially uh, a lot of these elite junior players, it's their draft years for major junior. Um, they've been locked out for a year and a half. A lot of kids started going to the States. So I've kind of been, you know, on hold back and forth uh, this year, as far as the, you know, the strength training goes, but um, that's, you know, just, we just play it by ear up here. Right. So yeah, a lot of my kids started venturing down towards the States um started going to the ushl the usphl uh, prep schools were a big thing so um these kids here played zero games but i have some kids who went to gilmore academy um played 60 games you know he was the top three in the elite prospects he's a canadian kid so it's been a rough go but you know i'm blessed that i am a dual citizen i'm american so mm -hmm. you know i've kind of been building you know my technology and what i do kind of in the New Jersey, Philly area, California. I have some kids I virtually train, uh, Texas. There's a crew, LSU. I got some kids. So now are, are you stuck up in Canada right now? Or are you, because you're a dual citizen, you're able to travel back and forth right now or well, not back and forth as much as you would like to, but are you allowed to come back down here right now? <laughs> yeah, I can travel freely because I'm American. So they can't keep me out of my country. It's just with right. the guidelines, they can quarantine me. So, um, joke is, I have five kids. So when I come home, I can't spend 14 days mm. quarantined where, you know, so that was kind of the decisions where I, I've kind of held off right now, but we've gone into another 28 day lockdown where, you know what, it's kind of, I got to make some decisions. And I think, you know, if, if, if the United States is open and they're playing sports and hockey, I'd love to, you know, start developing some kids over in the U S so. Scott, yeah. could you, Scott could use your help. I, I think that's what I think that's. I think that's. What, I think that's the first. If you come back in the states, and it's because Scott's in New Jersey, he'll he'll jump right on this program. It sounds Absolutely. like it's something exactly Scott, what he needs. It's eight minutes. Eight minutes of the hardest exercise you've ever done. You, it'll blow your mind. But you'll be, you'll be eight minutes. The kids say if it was nine minutes, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> it, it, basically, it's it's computer software that you have to use your muscles to beat your high score. So your muscles, you know, control your weight where if you're not eating properly, if you're not recovering properly, this technology holds you accountable. But Scott, I'm telling you once a week for eight minutes, I get huge results. So yeah. I'll tell you what, you'll, you'll be, you'll be hearing from me in the near future. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. 100%. John wants in on it too. He already said he's, yeah. he's in. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Kim's definitely John. Kim's big in the fitness. I'm dying to get Kim on this because it's. Yeah. I haven't you know, tried it yet. Yeah. <laughs>
we just see this border. I mean, like, you know, they're going on another lockdown. So it's just yeah. insane what's going on up there. And, you know, the vaccine isn't widely available like it is down here. So they're not, they don't have the freedoms. Like now they're saying if you're vaccinated, you know, you can travel anywhere, do anything. So it's just, they're not having. Well, there we go. Scott just got vaccinated on his second dose. Yeah. We can get yeah. him back up into just meet you down in Ontario after a 14 day quarantine. There you go. Absolutely. Yep. I can, I can, <laughs> two weeks, I can travel anywhere that I want to go for the most part. Uh-huh. So, hey, you know what? They'll, get, brutal, they'll, give you eight, yeah. they'll give you 1800 bucks for doing it anyway, staying home. So, as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. Far, right. Exactly. There you go. I'll give you a call. I'll give you a call, Corey. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually do have one question for each of you, though. Hey, so, besides your fathers, favorite player growing up and overall and why mm, i'll let you go first corks i have to think for a sec <laughs> um i overall and this is because i was i was a goalie growing up until about you know nine or ten and that's i always say rick Tockett is the reason i'm not a goalie so <laughs> rick Tockett was the be all end all that was you know what i wanted to be rick Tockett. uh just that year with, with Tockett. uh Craig Berube, uh, I loved Craig Berube, Dave Brown. My dad always was on me about why do you, you know, oh, you only like these guys, the fighting. My dad wasn't big on the fighting, but later on in life, I realized what I loved about these guys is because they work so much harder than the natural talented guys. And that's what I was all about was, you know, mm-hmm. strength, the, the, the work ethic. And that's what I, I was like, Dad, I love these guys, not because they go out there and they're beating the crap out of each other, it's because they work so hard to get here and they work so hard to stay here. Um, that's what I think I really drove the, you know, Rick Tockett was the guy I loved. I was 22. That was, you know, he was, he was my guy. So yeah. That's Besides awesome. my dad, I guess my dad, you always just say your dad. Oh, of course. Yeah. It would be a little, yeah. Very thankful yeah. for what he, he did for my family, but Tockett's the guy. That's, that's my man. Nice. Well, for me, when I was little, I was absolutely had my very first crush, like crazy crush on Rick McLeish. Whenever he would come in the room, I would yes. get all shy. I'd like bury my head in my mom's leg. Like I had the biggest crush on him. Then as I got older, I was go with the Craig Bruby thing. That was my older crush, like crazy about Craig Bruby. I loved him. But as far as players go, I always just have a soft spot for a goalie. It's like Pelly, obviously. And you know, I just, I just always love watching goalies. I'd much rather see a great save than a great goal. Like it's just, I, Thank you. that's my favorite part of the game. So I'm yeah. definitely in the minority on that. I, 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 cause I'm, I'm surrounded by the daughter of a, of a goalie, <laughs> a, a semi, a guy who pretends he thinks is a, a goalie in Scott. And then obviously <laughs> you, Corey, who's also played goalie. I'm definitely outnumbered on this. So I'm going to stay quiet. And, and, <laughs> my appreciation for the goal over yeah the three season. to one's not not a good good it's odds not, no it's not well yeah we, we want to thank you guys so much for coming on I, april 7th if you haven't already subscribed yeah per- perrant favel generation x podcast it's a it's a last out media uh, uh partnership um you guys my last thing was you guys have doc emmer coming up yeah obviously we t- talked about the wives and shiro is there anything else we you want to give a little snippet of a tease people might be jiving for like anything out there that like little snippet like oh I, I can't believe that 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 I never knew that about the Philadelphia Flyers or about Perron or Favell. Uh, Lou gave a lot of background on Kate Smith and how that all started and the spectrum and just the the 
there was controversy and like he just gave a lot of really cool firsthand knowledge of like the background which, which was very cool um and ray is just a hoot i mean you got like that was one of my favorite interviews like he's just he told a lot of funny stories and um was a lot of fun and we have like a lot of cool people we have lined like a lot of people lined up coming up too which is so it's really exciting that's awesome Flyers wide. That's gonna that's gonna be the one. That'll be a good. One. Those are some some good stories. Yeah. I, I've been I've been hearing great things about this wide show. So that's gonna be the first. That's gonna be one of the top episodes that I, I think people are gonna. <laughs> but we have to incorporate, them. you know, women. It's a men's yes. world, you know. So let's bring in. We'll have Lauren Hart. We're gonna have um Ron Ron Ryan's daughter on for a little bit. The wives. So we're gonna kind of mix in some women here and there with the very heavily you know a lot of a lot of men so we're gonna mix some women in wonderful uh, leah hextall just did that eight overtime game with uh with the ncaa she did the play-by-play -play for that which i thought was amazing so yeah good job with that i know yeah so you know we'll invite well, them on absolutely that's so cool we can't wait to listen april 7th again make sure you subscribe it's in our description below in addition to all of their i'll link out your twitter page and facebook page and awesome. all that good stuff kim and Corey, thank you so much we hope to have you back on the show talk about uh what it's like doing a hockey podcast when the team is not great right now so yeah, hopefully they'll bounce back but we really appreciate you guys you two coming on and uh please come again oh thank you so much for having us it was, it was fun talking to you yeah thanks so much guys appreciate it scott thanks bill no Thank problem. Thank you, guys. Bye. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Let's try and get some Flyers wins under our belt now. Flyers. <laughs> and thank you so much to the those two. They it's going to be a fun pod. I oh, cannot dude. wait for that wives uh, wives episode. Something tells me we're going to find something out about that. That's going to be a lot of fun. No, oh, it's going to be so much fun. Absolutely. Look, they're the coolest thing about the that era was that there was always good stories. I always find it hilarious. When their bar burned down, the bullies' bar, Rexy's, they yes. wore black armbands at practice the next day because the bar burned down. I always <laughs> found that hysterical. I don't know why. Just something that's how you know the closest that they had back in the day and how tight knit of a group they were. And I'm really looking forward to hearing some of those stories about that kind of thing because they're going to talk to Ray Shero, Doc Emmerich. They're going to have some probably really good guests. I'm, I would assume that, that Bernie and Doug Favell are going to come on at some point and talk with them. So, I'm 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 jacked up to hear it. I, I can't wait to hear what happens with all these stories are going to wind up coming out. It's going to be a lot of fun. But let's yeah. talk about the Flyers. And it, I mean, uh, obviously, they, they have a huge week coming up. Um, but first, I, the the trade deadlines coming up, and the really obviously we talked about Matthias at home and how this can happen. You can dance to your little rhythm of of your dishwasher. Little, 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 no, that's little actually washer. my okay. our washing machine. <laughs> all good. <laughs> But there's a little there's rumors coming out that they're gonna look for a backup goalie uh, or just something. I get like I, I Jonathan Bernier it obviously doesn't doesn't jump off the page. Um, I don't know how. I don't know because I, it's one of those things. It, it rings to me. It's trying to signal a wake up call to Carter Hart and Brian Elliott because they're two of the worst statistically speaking goalies in the NHL right now and. If Carter Hart continues to rebound, like we talked about earlier in the pod, like Brian Elliott theoretically should figure it out because as we've said multiple times, the more Brian Elliott plays in his current state, not the worse he gets, but the he has a better chance of getting hurt because he's very injury prone when he plays too much, when you ride him too hard. So I, I, I 
it, would it shock me if Ber- Jonathan Bernier comes here? No, because it's not probably not going to cost you too, too much. It's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. But at the end of it, if by 3 p.m. or whenever the official time that the deadline has to conclude in a couple days, in a couple weeks, like it, it wouldn't shock me if he never shows up. Like it's one of those things where it can go either way. And I'm okay with whatever side of the coin the Flyers land on. Remember what I talked about last week and the week before. Imagining that if you need to kind of plan for the future here a little bit, you can. Let's be honest about Elliot. Okay. Elliot's played solid when he needs to. Elliot is Elliot is also 35 years old and clearly yep. on the backside of his career. If Carter Hart's gonna go through these struggles, Brian Elliott can't be there to save them every single night. He can in a situation like this season. He can in spot starts every now and then, but Brian Elliott can't play 40 games a season anymore. He just can't. He just he can't. He's a, listen, at 35, your body's different. He's going to be 36 next year. It's not saying anything that he can't, but Brian Elliott's had we, – when the Flyers had tried to tandem him with Michael Neuverth and him a couple years ago – Brian Elliott, when he played too much, wound up having those core muscle issues. And that's why he was the, you know, he didn't play well in the playoffs in 2017, 2018. And we're talking, that's the three years ago. So um, think of that three years later, you know, Elliott's been sharper, the less he's played and when not taking the morning skates and being a little lighter on his body, he's been able to stay sharper. But if you're playing night in and night out, if you need to get those points, you need someone who can go with play, can play with Carter Hart and, and do it. And this has happened before. I talked about last week with Tomas Vokun and Braden Holpe right. about eight years ago. Sometimes you need that. I mean, let's let's be real. Like Mark Andre Fleury, a couple of years back before he was, um, you know, before he was traded, he he was supplanted by uh, you know, Matt Murray. Before that, Thomas Vokun was also a Penguin and played in the playoffs for, uh, you know, for them. But Mark Andre Fleury was a younger goaltender and wasn't playing well. Sometimes you just need a goaltender to get you points and to do that. Jonathan Bernier is actually a really good option. He's only 32, and he's got a lot of starting experience. Now, for a losing team, a dead last team in the Central Division, he's got a winning record. He's eaten six with a 2.78 goals against average and a 918 save percentage. Um, so, like, that's pretty sub. Sorry, a 2.78 goals against and a 9.918 save percentage. Right. That's really good for a losing team. So. Um, he has an ability to be able to come in here and just be able to, to turn things on. And, and he can, he's a guy where if you need to ride him 40 games, he has some miles on him, but not to the point where he's going to be a guy where you can't, you can't rely on him for a longer stretch if you need to. Look, the most amount I mean, of games he's ever played was 14-15 with, with, with Toronto where he played 55 games. He hasn't crossed 40. He didn't cross 40 until last season where he played 40 – I'm sorry, 46 games. So um, – he has an ability to be able to, I'm sorry, his career high is 58 games. Excuse me. He has an ability to come in here. If you need to write in the ship and need him to get the play, play, you know, 35, you know, that 35 to 40 games, instead of, you know, having Elliot play 25 to 30, those are maybe 10 extra points. You can bag on the back. end. it's another guy who's been through the ring, who's been through the struggles in a tough city like Toronto and was able to get through that and keep his career going. Um, it, it'd be actually be a good fit for him because it's not because Elliot's, you know, not good. It's because you can't rely on him in his current age to play 40 games. So this would be a move for me. If you're looking at this, not so much for right now, but you're looking in more to next season as well, because I think that's a, that's something that people can't overlook is the backup goaltender for next season, because look, Elliot's played well, 
I just don't know in a full 82 game season if Carter Hart's still going to need time to, you know, to to work out these kinks. Right. If it takes them a little longer and you need a goalie to play 40 games, Elliot's not going to be your answer there. So it's a way for them to kind of get a guy in here for next season. Yeah, I mean, that certainly is what the sign is. Like, if, if to me at least, and to that point, like if they sign or if they make this trade, it signals to me that they're bagging in this season. Yeah, maybe Bernier can get you sneak it, help you sneak into the playoffs, get you that four seed and, and see what you can do. But at, for the most part, I think I see it as you get him and you're hoping you can you have him locked in for a little bit as that backup goalie to Carter Hart in the future down the line. Like it's a future move. And I and again, it's why we're seeing a lot of young guys. We saw Tanner get get, get some time last night uh, on Darren Saturday in, yep. in, in his debut. Like it, it, we're teetering on that point. And again, it's leading into this into this into this week uh, against Boston tw- three times in total, back to back coming up on Monday and Tuesday, and then you play them again on Saturday, and then you have Buffalo, and then you have Islanders thrown in that mix. Like it is. This is a huge week, and it's also a reason why we're starting to see these younger guys because they're starting to read the writing on the wall. They, yes, they are only four points out against uh, two of the Boston Bruins right now, and you're tied with the Rangers, but I mean, you're also realizing that this team's not very good. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's they're, they're just they're lazy at, at every facet of the game right now, it seems other than when the third period and you're down by four two, whatever amount of goals it is. If you're in the third period and you're a Philadelphia flyer, you're actually going to play like you actually want to play the freaking game. But yeah. before that, you're not playing the first, the first 40 minutes are just like, Oh, I'll go for a, a, a family skate before the game today when you're in the middle of the goddamn game. Well, interesting. I think that it kind of shows the problems here that, that aren't going to be addressed at a deadline. Like, you can plug a hole here. Like there's been talks about like, you know, Vince Dunn's available from St. Louis, a, a defenseman. He's on a friendly contract, young guy, 24 years old. Depends on how much you got to give up for him. But is that going to be a guy who's really going to be answering your problem? Which really the main problem here is not so much the goaltending. It's been subpar, but it yeah. hasn't been helped by their defensive woes. It has been helped by the forwards not playing good overall as a unit. There are a whole, we've been saying it from the, from earlier season, the whole team defense is a mess. I, I don't think this is one piece on the chessboard that you can move now and and save for later on i i I, this might be something you might need to wind up fixing in the offseason where if they can get a player and they can make a push and get in and see what happens i'm okay with that because that Mm -hmm. that builds resiliency it builds character but at the same time that's all that's been been here in philadelphia the past decade almost seriously i mean the last time they really had a legitimate playoff run was was when they made the stanley cup run back in 2010 they didn't really have a run in 2012 they won around and then got yeah. blasted by the devils they won around until last year where they beat the canadians in six like they're they we've been mired in mediocrity for a long time here and while they can maybe get a piece here to get a push in and see what happens because once, once you get in anything can happen it's the truth yeah um I just for this team, it just it doesn't seem like all the pieces are clicking, but, and you just but it's also one player one of the, clicking. right. But it's also one of those things where yes, anything can ha- happen, but you also have to identify who the hot teams are, who the slumping teams are going into that. Because yeah, like you said, in 2012 when they made the playoffs, that was a lot of fun because it was against Pittsburgh in that first round. Like that that that's that's what it really was. And then you face the Devils team that you should have beaten. But because you treat like the, the the Penguins like it's your Stanley Cup final, yeah. and you beat them, 
which is nice. Like, it's always nice to beat the Penguins, but when it's only in the first round and you have three more rounds to go to lift that cup, like, you got to focus and you got to you gotta reset. And that's one of the most disappointing things that, 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 we, that we saw. I don't know if it was Scotty Bowman or another – but I remember a player saying or a coach saying a long time ago that you need your first round, you kind of need to coast through it. And if you're going to have a chance to run with the cup, you need to coast through your first round. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my biggest complaint in, in, uh, about the, the way the playoffs were designed during realignment uh, was that there, you, you couldn't get out. You had to play out of your division. Like When they were one through eight seed in the conference, that was the best because you could play run, any random team like they did last year. Yep. When you have to get out of your division, that's a war. That's an exact war. Now, great. It's good for, you know, like, because it gets the fans in it because it gets the rivalry because you're not going to really, if you're, unless you're playing a wild card team, for the most part, you're playing your division. You have to get out of your division to get to the conference final. Yeah. By then you're worn out. So teams that should have an opportunity to win that really don't because they just don't have the ability to power through them. However, it's a little bit different this year because, you know, you'll play out of your division again before you'll play anybody from the Central or the North Division and, you know, have that whole set up that way. Um, but it comes down to this. You, you, need a, you need an easy first round to get through to get a push to the final. Um, the Flyers, the last time we really had that was 2010 against the Devils when they just were a better team at that point and just yeah. blew them out. And it, it geared you up to get through Boston and come back 3-0 on that. And then that momentum carried through an easier team in Montreal to finally get to Chicago. And you just, you weren't as good as them, plain and simple. You know, other years too, like, you know, you were, you were the lower seed. You were the easy team. Like with Washington in 2016, with the Penguins in 2018, you were, you were the easier team. Um, so my point is, is that, and the way it all works out is that the team that plays the weakest team normally, and if they're not the hot team at that time, like, you know, there's exceptions like when Columbus swept <laughs> the lightning two years ago and the most ridiculous things you've ever seen in your entire life. Yeah. Um, chances are for the most part, you, if you're going to go deep, you need to have an easier first round and prepare for war in that second and third round in that final round. If you have a war in that first round and you're wearing guys down, you have to go seven and something along those lines. Uh, that's a really tough thing. I, and, and I guess the most recent example I can really give you, and it can really show you how fast your window can close, is remember two years ago with Vegas and San Jose, a series where the Sharks were down 3-1 in. They won in game six in overtime, shorthanded, and then they came back down from a 3 nothing. Uh, they're down 3 nothing in the third period, halfway through it, came back to take the lead, blew the lead, won in overtime, and they could not get paid. They beat the Avalanche in seven in the second round, and then finally they were out of gas by the time they had to play uh, St. Louis in the conference final. Um, and I think they, I believe they lost in six in that series. So my point is, is that at the team where that Sharks team, that could have been the team that beat Boston in the final, but right. they just ran out of gas. And Boston, like yeah, two years ago, they had an easy run to the final in the sense where the second round they were playing Columbus where they didn't really even need to play Columbus because they didn't really have a competition until really the third round. And that was against, I believe it was Carolina. Carolina wasn't really that good at that point. They were good, but not that great. Yeah. Um, so anyway, long story short, what I'm saying is that, you know, when it comes out of the playoffs, you, it, a team that's actually going to win is they're really going to have to be the one that, that really runs through that first round and makes cake of it, and that way they're geared up. If you have a war in that first round, let's say the Flyers do sneak into the playoffs here, and they're going to go play a team like the Islanders or the Capitals. You really think they're going to survive out of the second round of that? They're not the good to begin with. And you got to go play one of the top teams. If it goes seven, 
You're not going. You're not going to the cup. I mean, this team's not even tooled enough to win the cup. I don't even know why I'm ranting at this point. But the point is, is that <laughs> I guess what people I want people to understand is that they're 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 not going to get an easy first round, and they're going to be the team that would be the easy team to roll over. So if they do happen to squeak in, which is a long shot to begin with at this point, I, Great, we got a couple games of extra hockey, but at the way this team is constructed right what now, what you should do is it's not, whoever, it's not going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, what you should do is whoever the if the Flyers manage to sneak in, and this will be my final, like, like just bet them to win the cup. Whoever yeah. the Flyers play, just bet them to win the cup because yeah. that just goes to your point. If you make an easy first round, you have a better chance of getting to that Stanley Cup final, and you never know what happens. So whether it's Boston or the Capitals, or the Islanders, because those three are, are really fighting for the, for that, for that uh, division in the, in, in the East, like that's, that's all you can do. You just go with them, whoever it is, just bet whoever's playing against the Flyers to win the cup. That's all you can really take I, from the matter. What I, and I think I, I'll, I remember something, I think around 2013, 2014, I know I'm talking years ago, maybe even yeah, at that point, I think since the lockout, any team that had beaten the Flyers in except Buffalo since the lockout was a team that wound up going to the final. So if you go back and look at their playoff fronts, okay, 07, 08, Penguins, 08, 09, Penguins, 2009, 2010, they won, what's it called, won the cup. Um, 2010, 2011, Boston, they went They went to the cup. Uh, they, they won the cup. Uh, 2011, 2012. The Devils, they went to the final. Uh, 2012, 2013, they make the playoffs. 2013, 14, the Rangers, they beat them in the first round in seven. They went to the final. So, like, for a long stretch there, that cup was coming through Philadelphia. You, yeah. if, you, if you were if you were going to have a chance to cup, you had to beat the Flyers. Um, right now, that's not the case. You don't need to beat the Flyers to win the cup. And that that, that shows how long this 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 team has been mired in mediocrity and it's something that that needs to that needs to change. I don't know if it's going to be addressed right now. I don't know if any moves that they can make would be able to put them in a position to do that. You know, there's some crazy rumors out there that Johnny Gaudreau is going to come here. I, Johnny Gaudreau is not going to save this team. Sorry, right. there there's deeper yeah. rooted issues than that. Um, but it, at the end of the day, this is the week to put up or shut up. So if if you look at this week, <laughs> they've got five games they got to play in seven days, which is insane to begin with. They play Boston on Monday. Then they play back-to-back with Boston on Tuesday. Then they travel to the New York on Thursday and play the Islanders. Then they're back home on Saturday to play the Bruins again. Then they play the Sabres on the next day on Sunday. So hope they enjoyed their little break last week because they're not going to get one here for a while. And this is going to be a grind. So let's see. There's 10 points available. I'm going to go off on a limb and say they're going to nab five of them and they're just going to keep everybody in limbo. They're going to (laughs) nab five points uh, and they're going to keep everybody in limbo just because this team, that's what they do. They, they lose the Buffalo six to one and followed up with a hard, hard earned point uh, against the Islanders. So why would this team they'll get blown up by Boston? They'll beat Boston and then they'll lose a tight one. And then they should beat the Sabres next time. They'll probably drop it against the Islanders again. So there you go. There's your five points right there. Yeah, you know, so I just, I'm, it, it, five points. That's what I'm saying. I, I, I mean, I'd rather them get get three points. I'm at the point where it's like if if you're not if you're if you're gonna compete or not compete, may, put it up. What are yeah. you gonna do? Don't don't dilly dally and get. Uh, let's get literally fifty percent of 
the available points for this week, which would be the <laughs> definition, obviously, of mediocrity for what we've been dealing with for, as you put it, for, de- for seasons, yeah. decades at this point. So it's like, come on. I'm going three points, and that's if we're being generous. Like, maybe a Buffalo win. Lost and all then, faith. And then, and, and then I, 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 I like, I'm saving a take that I, I think I've generated for the last week, two weeks, like, like way before that. I, I can't, I can't unload it yet because I just, I don't think it's there. I'm not there yet to unload it. I, next I, you, week it'll be there. I you know, know what it is, about, and it's but you're like you're gonna hold it for next week. I wanna, I wanna unload it, but like the Boston, or excuse me, Buffalo is a two o'clock game. Like that night when we record, I, I think I might unload it because well, it depends on what happens. It okay, doesn't know because I, I, I'm convinced. <laughs> I've convinced myself we're at the point where it's three points or worse for a ten week table. Like that's where we're at. This team is got blown out by one of the worst teams in in the NHL right now, and in one of the worst teams in freaking history. So why should I have any confidence that they have any ability to get fifty percent points, let alone seventy five percent of the available points? Like, uh, like obviously ten. Like it's just, I'm at the end of my wits here with how this team is operated, and and it's like. I enjoyed or I had hope for when Chuck Fletcher came in because he made the necessary moves. He got Haxtall out immediately when Haxtall barged into his office per reports and said, am I part of the plans? And Chuck just flat out said, I don't know yet. And that was the breaking point. And they, and he just decided to fire him. And that takes guts because, and it shows you have the ability to do what must be done to make a better hockey club. And it's like, wow, I might be, might have been wrong. And the writing was kind of on the wall because Minnesota Wild under Chuck Fletcher were pretty mediocre if you, if you look back on it. Like, they, they made some playoff moves, but nothing substantial or sustainable. And, like, it's just – and A.V., as much as I love him, like, there's just something there that is not clicking for this particular club – and it happens sometimes. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that AV is a bad coach, but it also means that something he's doing or something the players are trying to recuperate are is not working. So what? Why? Why? Why just wallow in mediocrity and get your fans to the point where they're not going to buy tickets, they're not going to buy apparel, they're not going to buy merch, and it's just all for nothing. And and at the end of the day, that's what Comcast Spectacle is about. They're about the bottom dollar. There's no real owner of this team. That's the other problem. I I, I think that's a conversation for another day. The Mr. Snyder thing. I absolutely yeah. agree with that. Um, I, I think that that's, however, what you are talking about now, that's why they made the change in 2018 with going with, uh, with the letting go of Hexall and bringing in Chuck Fletcher. Yeah. And that's why they made the change. They look the last couple of years, the team has done this. They've changed a the general manager. They've changed a the team president. They have changed the uh, the change the coach. They've changed the coaching staff. They've made a lot of different changes. What what I know where you're going with this, but at this point, accountability needs to fall on the players. And I really think that players are underperforming and our players aren't playing well. I do believe that it has something to do with the way the strategy is with the coaching, and I do believe that plays a major part in it because of the way how well they were on the ascent last year and how quickly they've come down this year. That tells me it's more of a coaching issue. But again. Fans don't want to hear that. 
they, yeah. they, they want to point the finger and they want it fixed because people want to see a Stanley Cup. We all do. Look. And, and, and there are like four players that are easy to, to point at. There's really one it, that's easy four, to point. You can point at all of them. Right, there but I'm talking about the guys that are the core. well. Yeah. All of them. It doesn't matter who. It doesn't matter. Konechny hasn't done anything. Kevin Hayes hasn't played. Play, it's played okay lately. Yep. Um, Jake has not done anything lately. Um, you know, G, you know, I, I know G, every, he's always going to be because he's got the C on his chest. Yep. Uh, G, he's the easy you know, I want him to gain the, yeah, exactly. Uh, but look at the defense, you know, Ivan Provov, he doesn't have anybody to play with. He hasn't played well. Travis Sanheim and, and, and Phil Myers, let's not get started on that. You know, Shane Gossespear placed on waivers this week. There's, there's plenty of blame to go around. At the end of the day, it's not like I've never seen a team just randomly just all of a sudden, for whatever reason, just turn it on. They have. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying is like, as frustrating as it is right now, you know, do I believe bigger picture? They're in the right direction. I do, but you know, their teams do have down seasons. I mean, let's look at Carolina last year. Carolina was a team on the upswing. They went to the conference finals the year before last year. At that point, they wouldn't have even made the playoffs during the shutdowns. Uh, so, I mean, they wouldn't have made the playoffs if that, that didn't happen. So yeah. let's say for instance, like Pittsburgh got beat by, by uh, Montreal in the play in round. Like, Pardon my French, but shit happens. Like, yeah, exactly what happens. It's just, it's, it's an off year. There's a lot of things going on. No excuse, but this is on the players. So we can go talk in circles about what needs to happen out of here. But yet again, let's not face, let's not lose sight of the fact that, you know, the, for whatever reasons, teams can just turn it on and just start playing well. And we can't have, how many games are left in the season? And considering how big, of a week this is it's possible is it likely no am i thinking realistically at some things probably not in a sense because if i'm thinking realistically no they're probably going to suck this week and they're going to bow themselves out of a playoff spot and not have a chance to get back into it but at the same time if i'm looking at this from a player perspective you have an opportunity here to say wow you got a lot of games and a lot of nights you can't afford to lose any there's something in a player that should turn on and if it doesn't you shouldn't be here you shouldn't be playing period yeah. But I can tell you, for all 20 players in that locker room, there's going to be something driving them this week, and they know the stakes, and they know the stands, they know the big things. So I expect this team to come out and play well. I expect them to have some good luck. I expect them to have bad luck, and I expect them to win a few and lose a few. That's why I'm saying five points. If you get through this week with five points, you're enough of a sense where you can get something at the deadline to help get you more of that playoff push and get you another piece to help you that payoff. If you get five points, that's going to signal to Fletcher. Let's make a move. Let's bring someone in here. Let's get him. Let's see what it, this helps. If it works I hope out, so. It, it, I, I really do. Yeah. I just have no faith. Like I, I just have no faith. That's okay. It's we'll okay. see. And that's so, why I'm here, Bill. Yeah. I'm here because you can, you can praise, you know, that you could praise and, and, and all this glory that I provide you each week <laughs> of this positivity <laughs> with your complete negativity and completely rational, by the way, completely understanding. But I still believe that there is some positives here. And I still think that if they can get over these little hiccups that they've had and get their get their asses in gear, there, there's a lot more positive that can happen to this and that. Because let's be honest, it's not going to get much worse than this. It's, 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 mm. it's not. It's not. It's true. It's not going to get worse than this. It's not. Well, so. worse would be zero out of ten. Yeah, that would be pretty bad. So no. that that's extreme. What? Yeah, that's extreme. I don't think it's that bad, but we'll see what happens. We'll talk to you next week. If you have not already, please subscribe to the Generation X podcast with Kim Pavel, or excuse me, with 
Kim Perrant and Corey Pavel. It was an extremely fun interview. We thank you so much for listening to that. Kim and, and, and Corey, we hope you guys come back on the show at some point. Uh, thank you so much for listening to us week in and week out. Episode 72 of Orange and Backcheck. Orangebackcheck at gmail.com if you have any questions. Uh, at Orange Backcheck on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the good stuff. Uh, a week ahead. It's a big one. Talk to you guys next week. Stay positive. My mic is falling off.